I grew up in a time when children had chores. Um, I think now we've decided that children are little professionals, professional athletes, professional students. But when I was growing up, children had chores. One of my chores was to help set the table. And I still sometimes think about this chore when I'm setting the table at my own house. Plates in the middle, napkins and forks on the left, knives and spoons on the right, salt and pepper together like the king and queen. My current routine is to set the table each night for four people, but on a rare occasion, a special occasion, I get to set an extra place at the table. This evening on this church campus, a Seder meal was celebrated to honor our Jewish roots and to tell the story of our ancestors' journey to freedom. Some of the best stories in life are told at the table. Some of the best lessons in life are learned at the table. At many Passover Seder tables, an extra cup is placed on the table, an extra cup of ceremonial wine, a fifth cup is poured, and the door is propped open for the return of the prophet Elijah, who will one day show up as an unknown guest to announce the arrival of the Messiah. Elijah, it is thought, will resolve all controversial theological questions. What a table guest he will be. You will recall that when it was near time for the prophet Elijah to leave this earth, 2 Kings chapter 2 says that he asked Elisha, his successor, what gift he would like before he was taken away. Elisha replied, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And it was so. Before departing in a whirlwind with chariots of fire, he left his mantle, his cloak to Elisha, the one that he used to part the waters of the Jordan. And Elisha discovered that he too could make the waters part to his right and to his left and cross over to the other bank of the Jordan on dry ground. John's Gospel tells us that just before the Passover festival and just before Jesus' time had come to leave this world to go to the Father, he gathered his disciples together for an evening meal. I wonder if the disciples were thinking about a gift that Jesus might give them as he prepared to leave, I wonder if they expected a double portion of his power. Give us something, give us a keepsake, give us a badge of honor. He does, he does, but it's not exactly what they were expecting. Jesus even takes off his outer robe, his cloak, but he doesn't then disappear in a whirlwind, vacuumed up into heaven. Jesus picks up a towel, 
You see, the towel is the token. The towel is the mantle for the disciple. Jesus pours water into a wash basin, and then he begins to wash the disciples' feet. This is an act of humility. It's an act of hospitality, and it is an act of service. Ordinarily, foot washing was done by the guests themselves or by a servant of the host. And so Jesus combines the roles of host and servant, and he redefines honor. Or maybe he teaches honor isn't as big of a deal as I make it out to be. The really big deal here in John chapter 13, the really big deal is love. The very first verse of John chapter 13 says this, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them fully, or he loved them to the end. You see, this whole scene in John's gospel defines love, defines love as it truly should be defined. Professor Gail O'Day, who taught John's gospel where I went to seminary at Emory University, said that the description of the foot washing is given in John's gospel in exaggerated detail. It's almost like it's real time. The space given in this gospel to narrate Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet is practically equivalent to the time that would pass in the actual enactment of the event. Things really slow down here. And this, I believe, is for emphasis. And you know what? The church tradition took the cue. Every year on Monday, Thursday, we read this gospel passage. Every year. On most Sundays and most holidays, there is some variation of Scripture passages, but not Holy Thursday, not Monday Thursday. It's always the same gospel story. Mondi is derived from the Latin word for mandate, and Jesus' mandate, Jesus' command at the end of this passage, at the end of chapter 13, is this, love each other. Just as I have loved you, so you also ought to love one another. I sometimes hear the question, why isn't foot washing a sacrament? Why don't we do foot washing more often in the church? The answer is it's not the act of washing one another's feet that's most significant here. What is most important here is love sacrificial, humble love. Don't let the washing ritual distract you from the uncomfortable truth. Gail O'Day wrote, the salvific dimension of foot washing is lodged in the relationship. It's not lodged in the ritual. Full relationship with God, the intimacy of the relationship that God has with the Father is mirrored here at the table as Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It's the relationship that's most significant, not the ritual. 
You know, I see it when I look closely. I see the priority of self-giving love when I notice what else goes on at this table. Peter gets a lot of airtime. He does. The one who will deny knowing Jesus three times gets to manipulate the conversation here. And really, what in the world is Judas doing at this table? He's mentioned several times at this table where Jesus is demonstrating vulnerable love. The one who will betray him momentarily gets his feet washed. You know, it's often evident to me that I am not Jesus. But in John chapter 13, I really see it. This is the place. This is the place where if Jesus were to ask, what would Dinah do? Because really, that's a more interesting theological question than what would Jesus do? He always takes the high road. But if Jesus were to ask, what would Dinah do? The answer is, well, this is the place I'd be tempted to throw the table over. Just toss the tables right over. But instead, the table remains. Jesus sets a place for everyone, even the betrayer. He makes room for all of us. Chuck DeGroat is a pastor. He's a therapist and an author that I think is worth reading. And about Judas, Chuck DeGroat imagines the many long journeys that he and Jesus would have walked together. You see, there are 240 miles between Galilee and Jerusalem, and they probably walked back and forth a couple of times, if not several. Imagine the conversations that Jesus and Judas had, the unhurried, unhurried moments, the stories, the laughter, the tables that they have already shared. Tempted to kick him out when betrayal is imminent? I am. Yet Jesus sets a place for Judas, an honored place, because every place at this table is a place of honor. This week in his daily devotionals, Richard Rohr defined love as the non-possessive delight in the particularity of the other. You see, love is not controlling Love relinquishes control, and it delights in the unique individuality of the other. I know what this is like in a few safe relationships. But Jesus calls me to experience self-giving love in even more relationships, as many as I'm willing. Father Greg Boyle, whose ministry is to gang members in Los Angeles, California, told of asking a young man in his community what he did for Christmas. And the young man told him that he cooked a turkey ghetto style and invited six others to join him. When he began to name the six other people, Father Boyle recognized them as members of warring gangs. He wondered... Well, what could be more sacred than seven orphans, seven enemies, rivals sitting around a table 
waiting for the turkey to be done. That's the Last Supper. It is. It's orphans, rivals, sitting around the table, waiting for Jesus' hour to come and for his mantle to be bestowed upon them. This table, the communion table, it's sacred. It's sacred not because of its beauty or its long tradition or the presence of really good intentioned people. This table is sacred because it sets an honored place for every single one of us. Amen.